Oh, I got one of my favorite guests back on the show now, good old Nick Otto from the Huntivore Podcast. And Nick reached out to me, and I could tell he was stewing on something. And not just because he's you know a wild game chef, not that kind of stewing on. The kind of stewing on where uh, I think there's a Bible verse about it, actually, like in uh, Proverbs, it's like you know whatever's making you mad don't just keep don't just keep stewing on it right because it's just going to make you more mad and then it's going to make you do something regrettable well we're going to walk that fine line right now of nick doing something regrettable on this very podcast because he has been stewing on this and uh obviously uh we're we're jesting here but love talking about these hunting pet peeves because that's how hunting gets better um, not that we are the gatekeepers to truth and righteousness within the field, but, but, uh, we, you know, I think when people notice something that that's worth mentioning, it should be mentioned. And so that's what we're going to do, uh, tonight. But, uh, you know, it's kind of cool because Nick was the first ever picking bones guest. He was the, he, he was our kickoff episode and it was awesome. That was a great one. We, uh, <laughs> we still joke about Walmart summer sausage. You know, we still see, uh, all these guys that shoot, you know, like, you know, maybe four or five deer in a season. And what do they whip out at deer camp for their next, their next place they're hunting Walmart summer sausage, you know, that's just, Oh, just grates on me. But, but, uh, you know, if you don't have any deer, I understand Walmart summer sausage, maybe that's what you got to do, but come on. When you show everybody that you've already got a freezer full, you know, eat, eat the meat man. shoot, shoot. Or how did we, how did we word that last time? Hunt what you eat and eat what you hunt. That's what, that's yeah. what we talked about. So, so, uh, tonight though, Nick's want to take it a step further. Not only should you be eating what you hunt, but Nick's a little concerned about a, a disconnect between the hunter and the, the finished product. So Nick, I'm going to kind of let you uh, take it away here. I'm going to let you rant vent a little bit. And uh, then we're going to pick it apart. We're going to pick some bones. So uh, kind of explain uh, where you're coming from here on this one. Excellent. First off, thanks, Kent, for letting me basically invite myself on. Hey, I love it, man. You invite yourself whenever you want. You know, I, I was sometimes I think when I haven't had a guest on in a long time, I'm like, you know, what? I'm just glad they're still alive. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's just like, it's like, oh. How morbid is that? But it's like, man, so much, so much water has gone under the bridge since then. You know, it's just. Good. I'm glad that guy's still alive and doing well. So I'm glad you invited yourself on the podcast, man. Yeah, and just the whole platform too that you're going with uh, the series here of pick and bones. It is one of those things like it gives chance not only just guys to to vent. Like, yeah, essentially, I'm I'm going to vent as well. But I wanted to use this as a challenge. Um, when somebody puts out a piece of truth or someone puts out a statement and then just have a chance to respond to that, um, I'm not sure what the population of your listenership, um, happens to be a follower of Christ or happens to be Christians. But I know that when my pastor tells me something without candy coating it, putting it right in front of me, Mm -hmm. it it makes me have pause. It makes me think about those words. Is he correct in calling me what he called me or saying who I am or have I, or if I stepped up and 
that doesn't apply to me. And it's always one of those things to mull that over. Mm. And with, with hunting, it's raw, it's right there in front of us. And there's so much black and white to it. And it creates this amazing picture of a connection between man and nature Mm -hmm. that is seamless. It, it flows together. We were created to be a part of this world. Yeah. Yes. Separated in the fact that we're called to be separated, but at the same time, we have a stewardship that has to happen, um, with, with creation. And if we disconnect ourselves from that, that's where we begin to have these twisted views or we, we begin to, to miss out on, on the majesty of that. Mm -hmm. So that's why I really like this series because I did want to really just dive into if we're going to do things to the fullest, if we are going to be sportsmen, if we're going to be hunters, then when we kill an animal and we claim that we're going to do things ourselves, we're going to go on the DIY hunt. I'm going to scout. I'm going to, I'm going to use digital scouting. I'm going to spend hours, hours, you know, either sitting at work that you have your second screen that you can look at, or (laughs) you're sitting on the toilet and you're just going through (laughs) on it. A lot lot of good hunts are planned on the toilet and in the shower. I think. Absolutely. (laughs) the the time that's spent on that is well earned is well rewarded because you do find that mature animal that you're looking for but then how how much do we hurry after the shot i shot the animal now let me take it to the processor mm. let me take it to the butcher wait i i thought you said you were a diyer i thought you said you wanted to do this yourself well you know what i I did. I went out, I put some cameras, I spent a whole bunch of money on these cameras that sends a picture back to my cell phone. I know what that critter ate. I know Mm. what that deer was eating. And I know what, at what time it ate, uh, the beans. I know when it was on the corn, I got this thing patterned. I know it's diet, but at the same time, you know more about that critter's diet then you know of your own. Oh, man. Because now, either A, you're slugging down Walmart summer sausage. Who knows? (laughs) But at the same time, you're as foreign to that piece of flesh that you pulled out of your freezer. You don't know what that flesh is or was or where it was on this trophy that you claim to have been following for years you have a relationship with this animal you told me that but then when i hold up when i hand you a package you have to look at the label yeah you can't just look at the piece and know what it is or you know which critter it even came mm-hmm. from at that point one of your other deer these are just kind of moments that i'm just thinking of that like to and i mean we're in iowa you're in from iowa so you'll totally understand this but to drive the football field and to go all the way to the red zone and choose to kick a field goal. Oh, to it's painful. The choice, to get that mature buck and choose to let some other person's hands finish the job before it glo- goes onto your plate. Mm-hmm. To read a book and close it and say, I'm not even going to worry about the last chapter. I'm not going <laughs> to glean anything from this. Yep. I'm just going to call it quits at that point. It's, it's one of those things that, you know, I, guys will tell me, you know, time after 
time that, you know, we were looking at deer management and we want to be able to, to grow the biggest and the best deer. And I'm, I'm all for that. And I know that I'm, I'm already kind of putting myself out there as one that I claim meat hunter on this. I'm not going to mm-hmm. get in anybody's way if they're chasing antlers and I want to be one that's going to be able to help you out. But at the same time, you know, I need my opportunity. I'm going to take my animal yeah. and I don't care how small or how big it is. It's going to get the full extent of my existence. It's going to get all of my blood, sweat and tears and Love to be it. able to bring that to the table. And I just, and it, it, it could be a very select few, and it could be even me making it up in my head. But I feel that sometimes that final chapter of getting in there and cutting up your own animal, processing your own animal, is gone by the wayside. Mm. It is something that people have always projected themselves to do. They want a chance to do it, but they're intimidated by it. Yeah. Rightfully so. It is, it's the, when you make a mistake, you, you can't undo that cut. Mm-hmm. If, if you burn a stand, you can go back to it in a month. You'll yeah. be able to go back to it later and things will have calmed down. Your scent will have dissipated. The deer, none the wiser to that. But when you put a stab, an, an er- inherent stab into a steak piece or into a large cut, you can't undo that. Yeah. Now I, I will say that uh, one of the easiest things you can do to erase a mistake is to make it into ground and everybody loves ground. (laughs) There is ways around it. We we can go uh, deep dig dive or deep, deep dive into that later. Uh, But it is one of those things that's super intimidating, but at the same time, this is one of the most primal acts Mm. of a hunter. This is one of those very close connecting, I would say, yeah, raw experiences. You cannot sugarcoat. Mm-hmm. You get, if you're going to kill an animal, this is one of those things too that it really is one of those face to face experiences of living with your consequences. Yeah. I now have a mountain of work to do, and to put that off onto somebody else to save your time. Yeah, you're going to throw your money to that that processor, and I and fully believe that processors are a huge part of what we do and helping us continue this heritage of being able to go after wild game. But at the same time, if we don't put the effort forward to know what kind of effort they're doing, I think we also diminish our view of the processors because now we're mad at the size of the box we get back because we don't understand what they had to go through. You have to take off the hide. You have to take out the bone. You got to take out the silver skin, the sinew, the, uh, the fifth quarter, as far as like the gut. So when you bring in this, you know, monster deer and you come back with a a tiny box, well, that processor's holding back or, you know, he's, you know, he's grinding my deer up with other deer. Like, yeah, all those, all those accusations. Yep. It's because it's behind the curtain. You didn't take a peek. You didn't take a look. And I think processors i think would actually appreciate it more from a hunter who has a little experience even if it's a single experience of cutting up their own deer mm-hmm. seeing the results and then say from there at that point like i am going to go back to the processor i am going to have the professional do this it's worth the job that's worth the money and it's worth the product that i get back i am more grateful for that little yeah. box as opposed to wishing it was bigger yeah, no, I I think you bring up some some really good points there. 
Um, I like what you said about how, um, you know, you've put in all this effort and now you're going to let someone else handle it all. You know, that that's, you think of, you know, hunters have this, this feeling that they hold the, the burden of proof, right? That's like a philosophical term. I think I learned in college, the burden of proof. You have to prove yourself because the thing that you believe in or that you do or that you subscribe to is considered to be unpopular. Now, I would say that the majority of people are meh about what we're doing because we're still able to do it. And only, what is it, 4% of Americans hunt. And so that means that the majority of people are still at least indifferent to us doing so, and they're not adamantly against us. Now, there is certainly a population of people that is very against us, and we can't deny that, and we should we should stay vigilant. I've had uh, Charles from Howell uh, uh, on the show many times, who is the biggest force, in my opinion, at least one of the biggest forces who's fighting on behalf of hunting and trapping and fishing rights. Um, but So I don't want to minimize that, but point being – we, we always feel this need to like prove that what we're doing is worthy and what is, you know, number one answer. Well, I, I want to be in touch with what I'm eating, right? I want to, I'm going to provide for my family. I remember like 10 years ago when, and, and honestly, the trend still kind of continues. Uh, they had all those shows in like the history channel that everybody watched like swamp people and, um, uh, what were the other ones? Alone, when that came out, that's still running. Yeah. Um, or Deadliest Catch. That yes, yes. Deadliest Catch, Mountain Men, Man vs. Wild, all these like survival, outdoors uh, related shows, right? And one of the phrases they would say all the time is, more meat for the freezer. My dad hates that phrase, by the way. And again, I'm a first gen hunter, so uh, he he doesn't, you know, he he like he understands how hunting is is valuable and everything. He's just like, you know, come up with a new phrase, please. And but uh, um, but people talk about that all the time, right? Or I'm I'm going to support my family with what I hunt, but then in reality, they're they're in a way, you know missing out on that part or even if they go a step further like i at least i know where my food comes from well you kind of do right but who's to say i guarantee you you know almost every freight or every argument or complaint that exists in the world where there's smoke there's fire i guarantee you there's been a handful of processors out there who yeah have thrown everybody's everybody's venison into a pile and they take a weight on what you should have coming in, you know, after they cut all the meat off, they get a weight and, uh, you get meat coming back and it might be off of, uh, your worst enemy who lives three doors down deer. And, uh, you know, you really, you would you wouldn't know, you know, prove, prove it wrong, you know? And, uh, now that being said, I know meat processors and the ones I know are very much so above, you know, above the bar on that. And they, they don't do that as far as I know, and they're very trustworthy, good people. So I'm no way lumping everyone in, but the point is there that, that Nick brought up. It's like, you don't know. I mean, because you're not a part of the process anymore. And kind of to illustrate this point that you make one time I was, uh, driving past That's actually after we were done hanging tree stands, I think we were driving past a uh, food processing plant 
at shift change. And I'm telling you, there was like a hundred people coming out of that factory. And I was just sitting there as I'm waiting for all these cars to go by. I mean, just car after car after car after car. I was thinking, you know, I've probably eaten food that has come from that factory and all these people have touched it. And, and if I, (laughs) if I had, if I had a tray of cookies and there was a hundred people in the room and I was going to say, okay, everyone here, here's some gloves. Can you please put these gloves and hair nuts on? And I'm going to start by taking, you know, Nick, he's, he's down there at person number 98. Nick, I'm going to take this cookie and I'm going to pass it to the person to my right. And they're going to pass it to the person to their right and on and on and on. And eventually you'll get it after 97 of us have touched it, Nick. Yeah, meanwhile, yeah. number 56 sneezes into <laughs> their right. Yeah. <laughs> number 33 has, you know, some un- unknown communicable disease. You know, I mean, just, it's just like, so it's so like, ew, you know, but yet we're okay with it because what we don't see you know, we we don't believe. I guess, man, we're having all kinds of scriptural references this evening. But but um, seeing is believing, or what what is that phrase? Or blessed are those who believe and don't see, or something like that. But uh, anyways, the the point being, if you you can't say that, at least I know where my food comes from. If you don't see it through to that process, now let's play a flip side here. Someone might be listening to me doing a big, yeah, but right now. Mm-hmm. And they mm-hmm. would say, I'm on the road. I'm hunting in a, uh, CWD zone. My state does not allow me to bring meat back in that, um, is not deboned and I'm not allowed to bring in any brain tissue connected to the skull. And it's just easy for me to go to a one-stop shop taxidermist who also does meat processing and he'll, uh, he'll, you know, debrain and debone this deer for me and, you know, mail it, FedEx it back to my house, you know, two States away. Cause I shot it on the last day of, of my trip to that. I would say, I mean, I, things I, are getting, yeah. Yeah. So specific now in in being able to transport meat and 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 tissue and, and everything else like that. But even in the the point too that knowledge the the anatomy knowledge that you're going to get off this animal. Mm-hmm. One way that you know guys are going deep and they're going far, or in this case, if they're in a different state weight is going to be an issue because now that animal's got to come out on your back or you're mm-hmm. going to be dragging it out. And if you're taking it to a butcher already to be because of these legalities, yeah. yes, those are going to be hurdles. You can't bring that back to your house. But if you've already taken, you know, a deer close to your residence and yep. you've spent the time learning the anatomy and, but intimately, not just, I mean, watching YouTube is going to help. Um, mm-hmm. Reading, reading uh, different articles is going to help. But when you get that practical knowledge of being able to take a shoulder off, how much better is that going to be in the field when you've already got that pre-knowledge, that knowledge yeah. of I've taken shoulders off before, now I can do this. Now yeah. I can go in, I could take off a hind leg, and I could actually bone out the femur and leave that eight pounds of bone in the field. It's not even going back to the processor. Yeah. I can leave long bones. I don't have to carry that extra eight pounds. Right. When it 
the processor at that point, he's appreciative because you've already done yeah. a bit his work, which is going to make him focus more on the trophy side, especially if it's that taxidermist slash butcher. You're going to be able to be more of an asset to yourself at that point because of that pre-knowledge of mm-hmm. something you've been able to cut up at home. Yep. Because we're all going to run into scenarios like you just said right there. I, it's it's locked. I cannot leave this county because mm-hmm. of PWD. I cannot leave this county with any brain tissue, with any spinal tissue. What am I going to be able to do? Mm-hmm. You can be that helping hand to that butcher. Because yeah. again, when it comes to somebody that you're allowing to touch your meat now, well, I should probably say that's a different way. Then you're allowing <laughs> a butcher to now do the final step of your of your trophy to finally taking it down you're going to want to create a relationship with that person. You're going to want to be able to say, Hey, I did my best in the field so that you can do your best on the butcher block. And then there's that take there. If you want quality, you can't blame that processor because you messed up and didn't give quality to him first. So that's where you have to be able to provide quality so he can give it back. Right. And, and I think, uh, you know, like you said in there, when you're, you are close to home, you should look for, you should look to be a part of it, at least in some way. I know some guys who will debone a whole deer, which is the, the bulk of the work, you know, is, is, is totally getting everything off the bones. But then when they want some specialty stuff done, some sticks or some, you know, some jerky or, or non Walmart summer sausage. Um, they, they go to, they'll take that or maybe some brats made or something. They'll take that to, um, a processor after they've done the deboning. And I can understand that, you know, there's that, that other stuff requires quite a bit of equipment and, and, um, and here's another thing too. Um, it depends on the time of year and your, uh, refrigeration, uh, uh, circumstances. Um, you know, if, if you shoot a deer, so like last year I shot a, uh, so, well, I'll, I'll compare a couple of years here. So the first time I ever butchered my own deer was in 2020 and that was in December. Worked great. Could let that thing hang in my garage that was uninsulated and <laughs> freezing cold. And, yes. uh, um, yes, it was, it was perfect perfect opportunity for me to do that. The following year, 2021, I shot a buck in mid October on probably like a 60, 65 degree day. And, uh, it was a couple, you know, it was two and a half hours away from where I lived. So I loaded him up in my truck, uh, packed him with ice overnight in my truck and then took him to a, a t- old barn taxidermy and uh butcher, a sponsor of the show, um, for processing, the following day because it was already, you know, it's going to be 65, 70, 75 degrees for the, you know, foreseeable future. And I was not going to have the time that I had previously because I was teaching school that, you know, how hard it is to get out of that. Um, and so it made sense then at that point to, to take him to the, to the butcher. But then 2022, I shot that buck on the first day of a gorgeous cold front that came in in the same week. It was mid October, and uh, it was like it was like thirty degree. No, I think it might have been even 
in the twenties that morning. There was a hard frost that morning and it, it was settling in to be like highs in the of forty five for the next two or three days. And I wasn't a teacher anymore, so I had all the time in, in the world after work when I wasn't grading papers and lesson planning, I'd just go out there for several hours and I'd, you know, I had, I could leave it hang for, cause it was, my shop was a refrigerator at that point, you know? And so it made sense to do it then myself and I, and I preferred to do it. Um, and, and another, another thing to consider there too, is I think you do get, I mean, not that I'm not saying processors are bad. They throw away a lot of meat or whatever, they got a lot of work to do. They got a lot of animals to get through. They, they, um, you know, they don't really have the time to be shaving that meat perfectly down to the bone and to be getting all the rib meat out and to be getting the paunch and be getting the, you know, some of the other stuff, the other meat that is available there. They have to be efficient because they literally can, can have dozens of deer in a weekend and, um, you know, it, it's, it's just not practical for them to be as surgical with it as, as it is when it's your deer and it's your one deer or maybe two deer that you have to clean, you know what I mean? That you have to butcher. And so <clears throat> I think you do get more, but all that I to say, kind of, to, kind of to like package all this, I think the way I view it and you might view it differently, which is totally fine is if you have the ability to do it and the time to do it, you absolutely should do it. And you should experience it for the reasons that you said. You just know the animal so much better um, than if you never do that. And if, if someone's never deboned a deer, they are, they're, they're missing out. They really are. They're missing out on a whole new phase. And your confidence and as a hunter goes up, your your confidence as a, a chef, <laughs> we're all chefs when we, you know, no matter what we're making, we're all chefs when it's time to turn that thing into food. And uh, your confidence goes up then too, I think, when you're handling the animal. Absolutely. Um, just like any good lesson plan, I do have uh, basically my closing points. I have. Yeah, yeah, like, let's hear them. The, if we're going to look at the, those standards of what we, what the lesson was about, where, where are we going to go back? What are we pointing to? And that's where I've gotten my five points, these five reasons Love it. why it makes it worthwhile. And first is to fulfill the honor of the DIY, to bring hunting into a full circle. That the fact that we are going to pursue, we are going to mm. put well-placed shot we are then going to then bring that animal back and take care of that ourselves. We are yeah. going to reap the benefits of what we have done and both on a positive, but at the same time as a, a reveling way where it really does humble you knowing that you took the life of this animal, but to also put on that badge to be like, look what I did. And yeah. I feel confident from that. Second is to witness the blessing of the harvest we, we were talking earlier that the processors are behind closed doors nobody likes to see that anymore society really doesn't want yeah. to know where things go or how this happens and they're just yeah, just to turn so into a sanitized burger. yeah yeah to turn into a burger and we won't talk about it yeah but 
to witness the blessing of what you then have. Yes, I have to take apart this shoulder, and I cut myself twice trying to get through this <laughs> joint, but I finally got through this joint, and now what I'm going to be able to do is, you know, now I got this thing into three pieces. Mm-hmm. I have I have three meals that are laid, yeah. laid out here for me. Or, man, I am, my back hurts from cutting all of this meat. <laughs> Look at this. You have yep. a table full of some of the best nourishing protein on the planet. Yep. I'm running all of this, uh, the, the, the trimmings, I'm running all the diced through the grinder. Like I, we've been at this forever. Be blessed that you now have these bricks of gold that are just yeah. sitting in your freezer waiting for you to use it. So yes, it is the work up front, but we got to be able to turn back and see that this is the blessing of the harvest. Yeah. The kill was, was great and exciting, but this is the part where the rubber meets the road. Yep. Um, number three, all the processors are expensive and rightfully. Yes. So. Yes. You, you are pulling the veil back and you are seeing why they are expensive and why it is worth the time to have that processor do that. You are much more thankful for their expertise once you have put yourself in their boots. Once mm-hmm. you have donned on the gloves and you've tried it and attempted it, either A, you're going to love it or B, you're going to appreciate at doing their job. Mm-hmm. Well Number said. four. Yeah. Number four, knowledge gained from the experience. One story that I really do like is we had a cut party uh, right after five or six deer that were down and were hanging. And we waited right up until uh, the last weekend so everybody could get what they needed to. And then we brought them all in and it was all hands on deck. Many hands work when it comes to to doing that. And uh buddy of mine we were, we were taking apart one of the shoulders of his deer and we get to the mid femur and it it looked way different than the other one hmm. and so we put my one buddy onto boning it out and as we boned it out he goes this is wonky what are we going, looking at here once he got all the meat off and we got we could see what the bone what was happening with the bone that mid that humerus basically had snapped in half Oh and then laid, and then laid side by side. So I mean, you won't be able to see this, but anyway, it snapped and then came and then laid wow. side by shortening <laughs> that bone and fusing. So the knowledge that he gained, he was like, you know what? There was a deer that got hit, like you know, months earlier, and we never ended up finding it. Like we thought, you know, it crawled its way off yeah. in the picture. He goes. That son of a gun made it. That was this deer. Yeah. And so just all of a sudden come full circle, the knowledge of knowing how strong that animal was mm-hmm. to break that bone and to keep on living. But at the same time that we, uh, had a buddy who does, he's his specialty is Euromouts. So he's a, he's the guy of the group. He boils all the skulls and all the bones and everything else like that. But that went along with it. And so he boiled that out and that's, that's how sitting cool. on and that's not, you know, it's not even the head picture that was off of a, a doe. And that's now something that he gets to, gets to be a part of. Yeah. And then lastly, I took this right out of, uh, again, we keep having these biblical references and you already mentioned Proverbs, but I'm busting out Proverbs 12. Hey, there we 20. go. Yep. The lazy do not roast any game, but the mm. diligent 
on the riches of the hunt. And yes, you did go get that animal. Yes, you did hunt it. But I sh- I would not rest until you have a plan for what's going to happen because things can happen. Things can spoil. Uh, you can take you can slack off at the field dressing and take it off to a processor and blame him for the missing meat when you, sir, did not give the full diligence that that required. So being diligent will ultimately end out in much more bounty on your end. Man, beautifully said, beautifully said. I agree with all of that. That's all part of the enrichment of, you know, the, the, just the, the full enjoyment of the entire process, no pun intended, is uh, to, to see it through to the end there and to, uh, and even just as practical as you save yourself quite a bit of money, I think it's like 150 bucks, you know, processing fees. And if you got a taxidermy fee on top of that, you know, you're, you're talking expenses, a lot of expenses. So, uh, yeah, absolutely. If you aren't taking the time to butcher, I think you should. And I think it could even be worth, you know, and this is, this is easier said than done for sure, but I think it could be worth, taking a day off of work an extra or a half extra half day off of work once you've you've uh you know harvested an animal if if that's what it requires for you to have the time to to do what Nick's talking about cuz even then you, you know if it's a if it's a 60 degree day or something if you can keep that thing packed in ice and you're just basically taking hunks of meat off of it, getting it on a nice, you know, getting it wrapped, getting it on a metal tray and off to the freezer as fast as possible, you'll probably be okay, you know. And you might want to have some help too just so you can speed the process up as much as possible there. But, but um, you know, it, you know, that's something that when you – hunting, yes, hunting has is, is been around for thousands of years since since man needed meat right hunting has been around the but it's not the same in a lot of ways in some ways yes there's a very primal ancient thing and we can game things and use stick bows and atlatls and and uh you know whatever to like make it as primitive as possible and that's awesome that's cool i my hat's off to those people but at the end of the day you're still hunting within a season you're still hunting within the constraints of private land versus public land. You're still hunting within legal shooting hours. You're still, um, you know, you have you have all these constraints that people, you know, five thousand years ago when they were hunting, you just hunted till you got something. You know, <laughs> you know what I mean. <laughs> you just you just went and went and went. And then it was time to break it down and it was time to make the most of what you finally got. And so what, what's my point in all of this? It's like, well, if we can try and get to that, you know, I'm not saying break any laws by any, by any means, you know, we gotta, we gotta hunt legally, but if you can add extra wrinkles to it, that get it closer to what it once was then I think you can appreciate it more for what it really truly is at its most basic foundational thing. And, um, and so, you know, if you can take that extra day off of work or half day off of work to try and get that part of it done, do it. 
I'd say it's totally worth it. And, and I, I mean, Nick just said it so well, you, you just appreciate the animal so much more when you see that side of it. And it's a skill that I think everyone, every hunter should be proud of having that they know how to butcher an animal. You know, uh, I hear a lot of guys talk about how they love to be the one who does the field dressing. I think that's cool. That's, you know, when they have a group of friends, they're almost begging to let, for you to let them get in there. Um, I think, you know, unless you have a circumstance like that, everyone who shoots their shoots, it should have to field dress it. Cause that's another part of the process too, that helps you understand it better. But, um, yeah, I, I think, I think it all just gets bundled up with the whole experience when you include the butchering. So if you're tuning in, you've never butchered before, take those five things that Nick said, listen to them again, apply them to, uh, what you're doing. Cause it's, it's totally worth it to do it. And I'm so glad that I've done it and I look forward to doing it again. In fact, I was just thinking today while I was at work, I saw this chain hoist sitting on the, uh, um, shelf. And I was, I was like, you know what? I, I have been meaning to buy one of those to put in my shop because, uh, the old pulley method that I used last year was not fun. I need a chain hoist to lift that, lift that buck up to the rafters and, and make it easier to butcher. So absolutely those old, yeah, I'm, I'm still using my pulley, but it hasn't come undone. You almost need a college course in how to put those back together. I knotted the end of the rope so it will never come out because otherwise, oh man. Yeah, that's a pain in the butt. Oh yeah, it is so. It is crazy how hard it is to hoist those things up to the ceiling. It's crazy, but yeah, chain hoist. There's your little. There's your little tip in all of this. Everyone, get yourself a chain hoist. That, yeah, that's the easiest. <laughs> that's right. Those things pull car engines up, so uh, you'll get that buck up there. But thank you so much, Nick, for coming on the show. Uh, please check out Nick's show, The Hunt of War Podcast. Um, they run through Sportsman's Empire, a great uh, resource with all kinds of different hunting podcasts uh, available to listeners there. And uh, actually started by a former guest on this podcast, uh, or a previous guest, I should say, uh, Dan Johnson uh, of, uh, nine finger chronicles. And he's the one who started sportsman's empire. And so you can find Nick's podcast there. And, uh, it's just at Huntivore on Instagram, right? That's your handle. Correct. So, yep. So find Nick on Instagram as well. All kinds of great content there. A lot of delicious looking content there and, uh, also super responsive. So if you guys have questions about butchering or, or, uh, you know, preparing something, I'm, I am confident Nick would get, get back with you as soon as he could to, to help you out. He's a teacher at heart. Remember he likes to help people. So, so he'll it's help a, you make, I, make the, I got it in, in through my bones. It's that's right. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So he's here to help and uh, he'll help you make that. Um, the, the, what, what do you call that dinner table diplomacy? Is that what you, I think that's the phrase you taught me once. Yes. Yes. Dinner yeah. table diplomacy, venison yeah. diplomacy. It's mm-hmm. all, it's hard to be upset with somebody when you're snacking on a piece of jerky that somebody's right. Yeah. You know, when you're sitting in front of it, you're enjoying something. If you've got a hard argument in front of you or shoot, you've got a debate that has to happen. I think, yeah, instead of podiums, I feel that all politicians should have to sit at a family style dinner because that is going to change perspectives because, you know, yeah. you might have something mean you could say to the person across the table, 
but the salt is also next to them. So you need to be kind so that they will then pass it to you. So that's where yes, <laughs> yes. we can solve a lot of things there. That's right. I love that. I, I, that's a great idea. Anything to make it better than what it is right now. But let's <laughs> let's definitely have some dinner table diplomacy for our politics. I love that. But uh, yeah, so definitely uh, reach out to Nick and tune into his show. It'll help you with that. Do remember this podcast is presented by Spartan Forge. Spartan Forge is just really at the top of the game with the mapping, and it's so critically important that you be on that right now. Um, uh, Nick mentioned a couple times you can be on it like while you're sitting on the can you know it's a great time to be cruising you're doing your e-scouting you know multitasking there right but uh uh whenever you got a time to do it you know you're sitting there after you get home from work and you don't really feel like watching tv pull up the e-scouting look at your areas that you need to maybe go look at getting some permission from or maybe you just need to study how the neighboring farms to the farm that you are allowed to hunt how their habitat flows and may affect deer traffic on your property. All that stuff goes into e-scouting. Spartan Forge is a place to do it. And you can download Spartan Forge for free. That's right. You get the landowner information, public land information for free. Then if you want to get like, I think you get some additional, the reason I don't know for sure is because I pay, I subscribe for the full version people. It's worth it. I think you get additional map layers and then I know you get um, the deer behavior prediction, which is really what Spartan Forge uh, is known for. Bill just built this incredible, incredibly powerful uh, uh, software that uses artificial intelligence to cipher through thousands of years of deer collar um, data. And they keep adding to that. So it's not like, oh, this is, you know, we got this data back in 2017. It's still working great for us. No, they keep adding to it. So it gets better and better and better, more fine-tuned. And so uh, make sure you uh, get on with Spartan Forge. A year subscription, I believe, is $39.99. Very cheap. You get it for, I think, all the states where whitetails can be hunted. And then um, uh, if you want to just do it, uh, for deer season, you can do a monthly subscription as well. And I think that's like seven ninety nine or eight ninety nine a month, something like that. So a uh, couple of different options there. Strongly encourage you to do it. You can go to the show notes and you can find a link to Spartan Forge there. Please check them out. They believe in the First Gen Hunter podcast because they believe in you and me as hunters. So uh, go check them out, please. And then also you got East to West hunts. You got a dream hunt that you want to plan. Uh, you got to work out all the details for how that's got to go down. You want to know uh, how the tag application process goes, how to get preference points, how, where's your taxidermist you can go to after, you know, when you're way out of state and you tag a trophy. Um, maybe you got to rent gear. All that stuff, Alex Gruen at East to West Hunts will take care of it for you. Or if you still want to have like a little DIY element to it, he will walk you through that as well. He'll custom fit it to you. Call him up, go to his website, easttowesthunts.com, get a free consultation and see what you need. And Alex will uh, fit that to those needs. So again, easttowesthunts.com. Tell him the First Gen Hunter podcast sent you there and you will save 10% 
off anything you book with Alex. So it's a pretty good deal there. I strongly advise you to do it. And then, of course, perfectly uh, working with this episode is Old Barn Taxidermy. Old Barn Taxidermy is as good as it gets. The the top of the line taxidermy work, just like you don't want to settle for bad deer processing, you don't want to settle for bad taxidermy. Uh, bad taxidermy is like a bad word. Like you just, ew, you know, you don't want to just, whenever I see bad taxidermy, it's one of the nastiest things I've seen. And I am a lover of wildlife, but when I see a nasty old mount, like at an antique store or something, it's like half rotten. It's just like, ew, you know, it's worse than seeing a ghost. So make sure you get the right quality job of taxidermy done go to old barn taxidermy and like we said earlier sometimes it does make the most sense you got to go to a processor they do have processing there and as i said i've gotten it done and they did a fantastic job Um, i've had other processors uh do deer for me in years past um and uh, I got to say the best job done was by Old Barn. So they do a tremendous job and uh, they actually got it back to me really quick too. So even though I had a deer head, you know, waiting to be mounted there, they weren't, they didn't like wait for everything to be all done to give me a call. I had my, I had all my, uh, all my deer meat, all my venison back I want to say within a month of harvesting it, which is pretty good considering how many deer come through their shop every year. So, so definitely check out old barn taxidermy. They're really as good as it gets over 500 deer mounts come through their shop every year. They do mountain lions, they do bears, they do turkeys, they do fish, they do everything. You shoot it, they'll mount it for you and it'll, they'll do it as good as it gets anywhere. So you can find a link to old barn taxidermy in these show notes go check them out. Please do. And tell them that I sent you there. That's the key part there. Make sure you tell them that the first Gen hunter podcast brought you to their shop. So thank you again, Nick. Thank you to our listeners until we pick another bone, which I'm sure we will. Nick and I love talking about this stuff. We send each other random messages when we see something on a YouTube show or something. Well, we'll have another one. We'll have another Walmart summer sausage complaint or something like that coming up soon. But thanks, man. Thanks for coming on. Yes, my pleasure. And hey, folks, keep your knives sharp. That's right. Keep those knives sharp. Till next time, everyone, take care and take someone on.